I don't know about you. I know about me. I'm glad I'm not a part of a dead church doing nothing, going nowhere. Amen. I just think a while ago, the Bible I've used today was given to me by one of my church members back in Indiana. She was born in the late 1800s. Her and her husband were in their 90s. And one day she gave me this Bible and said to my loving pastor and things like that. And she knew she wasn't going to be needing it because she was getting close to heaven. And she finally moved to heaven at her husband. But I was thinking about the different age groups we have at our church, the different, the different things that are made up at a church that is so grateful to have an atmosphere where older people can fill apart and be blessed, young families can fill apart and be blessed, and that everybody in between can be blessed. Because that's what heaven's going to be like. You know, when you get to heaven, uh, you know, I, I heard a man say years ago, you get to heaven, they'll say, well, here's the Baptist section over here, and here's the Catholic people over here, and you tongue talkers, you get over here, you got a little place over here. And that kind of thing. When we get to heaven, nobody cares if you're a tongue talker or a non-tongue talker. They don't care what church you went to. Because you get to heaven, it's like it's supposed to be on earth where we look at each other. We don't, we don't say, well, what church you go to? Where you guys come to? How do you believe? Number one thing is, if you believe in Jesus and he's your Savior, you've asked him into your heart, you're doing your best to follow him. The title with your name makes no difference. It's the Christ in you that makes all the difference. And so I'm just so grateful for today. It feels so good in here. But I know if all the good stuff we've had today, all the feel good and all that, that faith only comes by one way, by hearing the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, Romans 10, 7. He says, hearing by the Word of God. Now, if you notice our mission statement on your bulletin or everything we get, it says that our mission and our vision at this church is to equip God's families for victorious Christian living. And the primary way that a spiritual leader is like a, Mike, a brother Mike said a while ago, the primary way that we equip leaders is you have godly examples in front of them. Follow me as I follow Jesus. How do you know if a man of God, his family is following Jesus? Well, are they living a perverted, twisted life? Or are they walking in the blessing of God? Not perfect. But are their children peaceable? Are their children blessed? Are they walking in love and forgiveness towards one another? Are they fighting all the time? Are they got peace all the time? Et cetera, et cetera. So the primary way that a spiritual leader equips God's families for victorious Christian living is by the Word of God teaching you how we got what we have. And then living it in front of you. And I want to say it again. That it's not that we're a perfect family, my family, or any family. We're not a perfect family. We do our best to follow Jesus. And when we mess up, we're not afraid to admit it. Because when we mess up, we don't stay on the wrong road. We are quickly corrected as best we can with God's help. And then we get back up, we march. And then by that example, it shows you that if you mess up, you don't quit. You say, okay, Jesus. I'm not going to do it that way again. That don't work. I'm going to turn around, Lord, show me the right way. Then God gets you in church, and then your pastor, if you've got a pastor who follows the Holy Ghost, he opens the Word of God, and then the Holy Ghost through him with the Word of God shows you what to do. And what I appreciate, what I've learned in over three decades of ministry is this, that when I minister to a congregation like this morning, this is like a one-room schoolhouse. Mrs. Pastor, by the way, I'm not saying that we're old. We are getting older. But she actually went to a one-room schoolhouse up in Maine <laughs> where they had every grade. In, in a congregation like this this morning, I have people in here that are just starting their Christian walk where they don't hardly know anything at all. They're just starting to learn. I have people in this church this morning that have probably been saved longer than I have that know a lot. And then I have everybody in between. But by the Holy Spirit, like a one-room schoolhouse teacher, if you're a person that has an open heart to the Holy Spirit, as I bring forth the Word of God and give examples today, whether you just got born again in the last little part of your life, a week ago, two weeks ago, a month ago, or you've been walking this walk for 40 years or 50 years, God's going to talk to you today. And the whole thing is, you just need to open up your heart, and your whole thing has always got to be, Lord... I know I need to change. I know I want to do better. I thank you that I'm not where I used to be. 
But praise God, I'm not nearly where I want to be. I'm going to grow and I'm going to change. Amen. Somebody give the Lord a hand. Does anybody need a sermon outline? Hold up your hand. Got a hand back here in the back. Got one over here. Raise your hand if you need an outline. And, uh, you know, if you're new at the church, <clears throat> I think you're probably going to going to notice that uh, we don't do a lot of politically correct sermons here. We try to stay biblically correct, which means I don't say all the time, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, but never show you where it says it at. Anything I preach and teach, I want to show you from the Bible. And at the same time, it's really good to bring your own Bible. And I know that with the modern uh, technology and things like that, some people have iPads, some people have cell phones and things like that. And, you know, that that's okay, but I really like to have a real Bible that you open up in, because what I found out in my experience of sitting in the seats out there, that in my Bibles, I write notes, I underline things, I circle things, and if you have an iPad or an iPhone, you're limited to what you see right in front of your face, but sometimes at a service like this, I've opened up my Bible to the place the speaker was on, and all of a sudden, something on the page next to me jumped off at me. And so all of a sudden, I saw something that God was speaking to me, because I got to sit on the other side there, or I saw a note. That I wrote my Bible in days gone by, I forgot about, and all of a sudden, that's exactly what I needed to hear for where I was. And so I really encourage you, bring Bibles that are real Bibles and look at those Bibles. And always, always, always take notes. And I, I always, even when I got them out there and somebody's up here for an outline, I always have another piece of paper beside it because I like to write a lot more than what I've got in the room there. And what am I doing? I'm equipping you for victorious Christian living. And so that's how I got it. So if you want what I have, do what I did. Follow me as I follow Christ. I'll teach you some things. Amen. And so you notice the title is how to have a happy Father's Day every day. And I almost wrote how to have a happy family day every day. Because I'll tell you what, there's nothing that makes your heavenly father any happier than when you're happy as a family. And there's nothing that makes me as a as a dad, and now as a granddad, any happier than to see my kids and my grandkids blessed. Amen. I want to say that again. There's nothing that makes me any happier every day of my life than to see my kids blessed, see my grandkids blessed. And so that's what we're talking about, Happy Father's Day. For fathers to be happy is to have a happy family life. Amen. And, uh, you know, I want to say something. Two, that I realize that Mrs. Pastor brought to my attention again this morning. In the times we live in and the society we live in, there's a lot of moms that are wearing both hats. Their mom, their dad, everything like that. So we're teaching, when I'm teaching these things out of the Bible, I'm not at all wanting to leave out the moms that are really moms and dads and everything. And also, there's a lot of single dads that are dads, too, and wear both hats like that. And so as we're saying these things... The Bible shows you God's best. It's God's best. It's God's best for a man and a woman to be married, stay married forever and ever and ever and ever, and the children to have that kind of example. But then at the same time, because of the goodness of God, and because of goofy stuff in life through the devil, through flesh and things like that, some people are put in a category where they're not in that pattern. But the whole thing is, if you're wearing both hats... Dad and mom both have been the parent and everything like that, been the worker, been the uh, homemaker and all that kind of stuff like that. You fit right near too because the bottom line is God wants you to be blessed, to be happy in your home, with your children, wherever you do it. So don't feel slighted as we're looking at we talk about husband, wife, and that kind of, Don't feel slighted because where you are, God knows where you are. And we're not prejudiced against divorced people. I guess people had had babies that never did get married to anybody, don't know who the dad is maybe, or all that kind of stuff. You always know who the mom is. <laughs> Amen. But so whatever category you're in, nobody's throwing rocks at you looking down at you. We want to lift you up to a higher level because the bottom line is kids are kids, parents are parents, and the kids need to know the right way to do it so maybe they don't go down roads you went down and are able to be that next generation that, is absolutely walking in and winning. Amen? Amen. And so I want to read today. I'm going to be reading 
out of the Living Bible only, which is, I've never done that before, but everything here fits out of the Living Bible better than anything. And so I'm going to read Psalms 128, and I just want to make some, just some uh, pointers to you. The main thing is, don't want to go real long since we did so much already, but my job is to put something in you to give you answers to help you to win. And so it says, blessings on all. Well, that would be nice if you stopped right there, but he didn't. Blessings on all who reverence and trust the Lord. And so this is a qualifier for how to be blessed in your home is to reverence and trust the Lord. Well, trust the Lord means to have faith in the Lord. And to have faith in the Lord means you know what he's saying to you and then you obey it. And you only know what he's saying to you by the word of God. And then when the word of God's in your heart, and in your mind, then he speaks to you in line with the word of God. So anyway, blessings on all who reverence and trust the Lord, on all who obey him. Their reward shall be prosperity and happiness. How many want prosperity and happiness? How many want your children to have prosperity and happiness? Amen. Uh, your wife shall be contented in your home. And look at all those children. There they sit around the dinner table as vigorous and healthy as young olive trees. I wasn't planning on this, but I just had a flashback. Anybody ever have flashbacks in time? I got born again in 1980. I'd been divorced since 1977, and I had two daughters. Well, I'd been a divorced man for three years when I got saved, had two young daughters, and so I know what it's like to be a single dad. I know what it's like to deal with visitation issues. I know what it's like to fight about Christmas visitation, fight about who's going to have them on their birthdays, fight about it like Sim on Father's Day. I've been down those roads. Now, how ugly it is. I got born again, and then I was very contented with living my single man Christian life, going to church, being a single man. I had no desire for a woman, for anything at all. I went to church, went to work, loved Jesus and all those kind of things. And then in 1981, I started having things stir in my heart, not in my sexual life, but in my heart, that I need a companion. I need a helpmate. And I was studying the living Bible. I had I come to that verse there, and all of a sudden, I saw more than my two little girls. I saw a table. I saw a wife. I couldn't see her face, but I saw a wife, and I saw all those children right about that dinner table. Well, then, I met my wife at a church prayer meeting, not in the tavern. I didn't meet her in bed somewhere. <laughs> I met a godly lady at a church prayer meeting. It turned out this godly lady had two sons. From a divorce. And so, this was the summer of 1980. Well, I actually met at the prayer meeting in uh, 1980 at the prayer meeting. But there, I never wasn't looking at women, so didn't think about that. But anyway, in 19, I started getting that desire in the summer of 1981 that the Lord began to bring us together. By November of 1982, we were married. And then, I remember, we're sitting around our table. I looked at those two little girls, those two little boys, and that wife, and all of a sudden, that image I saw in the prayer that time had a face on it. Those children around that dinner table had a face on it. And I want to tell you, since that time to now, more children were added around that dinner table. And now a lot of grandchildren are added around that dinner table. So we come together, it actually takes more than one dinner table if we're all together, because there's so many of them. But the whole thing, what I'm telling you is this. I reverenced, I trust the Lord, he gave me that wife, he gave me those children, he gave me that happiness. And so, Pastor, what's that got to do with me? God wants you to have what the Bible says. He wants you to have those children. I want to say it again, if you're a person that doesn't have a mate, God wants you and those children anyway to be able to be around that table. If you desire, if you desire a godly mate, God will send you one. I want to say it again. If you desire a godly mate, God will send you one. But let me give you a clue. Don't think 
that you're in a category where nobody wants you, so you have to go back to the bar to find them. You're not going to find that godly mate in the bar. You need to reverence and trust the Lord. Get hooked up with Him and follow after Him more than anything else. And God knows where that perfect person is for your life. Amen? He knows where that is. And so he says then, vigorous and healthy young olive trees, that is God's reward to those who reverence and trust him. May the Lord continually bless you with heaven's blessings as well as with human joys. I like that. Heaven's blessings and human joys. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. You know what I did yesterday afternoon at a hundred something degrees? I was in my backyard playing soccer with my grandson. Well, Pastor, that's easy for a 20 said, No, I'm not 20 some years old, I'm 65. And how many goals did Grandpa get? Six, in case you forgot. How many did it? Okay, I won't embarrass him. I got to watch out, man. Next time it's going to come back on me. <laughs> but anyway, what I'm saying, I enjoyed that. Uh, some of the grandchildren were down the hill with dad and mom doing things. Wiener schnitzel. Had an ice cream cone. Had a Sunday waiting on my grandson. We were there. Tell me I didn't enjoy my yesterday. But you know what? Every day of my life is Happy Father's Day and Happy Grandfather's Day because my children and my grandchildren are blessed. I'm not laid up in some nursing home laying there sad and thinking, boy, I wish somebody would come and see me. We visit people in nursing homes. We don't live in them. Somebody said, well, now you're kind of putting down somebody. No, I'm not. I found out from God's Word how to live healthy, how to live strong, how to live long. How to be a blessing. Somebody said, well, yeah, from your background, no doubt, your dad and mom, they was all preachers. No, I come from a family of bootleggers and gamblers and thugs and not nice people. When I got to be 28 and a half years old, God started speaking to my heart. There was something better. So I unloosed. I, I let loose. Of what I was and gave my heart to Jesus. And so then that's how my life changed what it is. And I remember in the first season of my new born again life, uh, when, I, when I was born, a guy named Harry Truman was president. How many remember Harry Truman? Then Dwight Eisenhower, then John Okay. Anyway, the reason I say that is this. It was advertised that Harry Truman had a big sign on his wall because politicians are big at the Blame game. They always want to blame the last guy. They want to blame the other guy for the problems. Harry Truman was a good Democratic president. And I'm not saying I'm a Democrat. I'm not saying I'm a Republican. I'm not getting into politics. But I just want to say this. Harry Truman was a good president. Had to be a Democrat. Had a big sign on his wall that said the buck stops here. So what he meant was this. Everything that's wrong with this country in the past, I can't change. But everything this moment forward, when I took the oath of office to be president, said, I'll take responsibility for what happens while I'm president. If it's good, give me a hand. If it's not good, I'm not going to blame the guy before me. I'm going to take the blame and say, okay, what do we have to do to change it? So when I got born again, this come out of my heart and out of my mouth concerning the Samples family. I said, the buck stops here. I'll not raise kids to be thugs. I'll not raise kids to be drunks. I'll not raise kids to be thieves and liars. I'm going to raise my kids to be Christians. I'm going to raise my kids to follow me as I follow Christ. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what I've done from that moment forward. And so I'm saying to you that are sitting out here, no matter what your background is, if your parents, maybe you didn't even know your parents, they abandoned you. Maybe your parents were in prison or are in prison. Wherever you are today, if you're born again Christian, you have a new parent. His name's God the Father. You have a new bloodline. It's called the blood of Jesus. 
Amen. You have a new family tree. It's called the cross at Calvary. Your Savior hung on that cross. He took the addictions that were on your family. He took the curse that was on your family. He took all that. And now you've got a choice in life. You could say what I said. The curse stops here on my family. The samples may have been all those things, but this is a new day. This is a new samples. And I can tell you, the proof is in the pudding. I don't have one drunken kid. I don't have one addicted kid. I don't have a fornicating kid. I don't have an abusive kid. Well, you got little saints. No, I don't. I've had to work at my kids. I spanked them when they needed spanked. I blessed them when they needed blessed. I was a good example in front of them. And the time that I blew it, my bad temper, different things in my goofy life over the years, I immediately sent my kids down and said, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 well, that wasn't right. Don't do that. That was wrong. Here's what you do, kids. I asked Jesus to forgive me for losing it. And so if you ever, if you ever lose your temper like Dad did, then don't stay there. Ask Jesus to forgive you. And if you owe somebody else an apology, then apologize to them. Amen. So I've taught my kids what to do if they did wrong. And that's what you've got to do if you want the buck to stop here. If you want the curse off of your family, you know, I never was an addict or anything like that. I was a, I was a drinker, but there was that kind of stuff. If you fall off the wagon and do whatever it was had you before, man, come to your senses, stop it. Then get to your kids and say, kids and grandkids, grandpa, dad, I did wrong. That was wrong. I've asked Jesus to forgive me, pray for me, and help me. And then you know what your kids and grandkids are going to do? If they miss it, they're going to say, whoa, I know what dad did. I know what grandpa did. They got Jesus to help them ask for forgiveness. I'm showing you how to live a victorious Christian life. And I'm going to tell you what. I know we got a lot of good notes. But the thing is, I want to help you to live right. And the biggest role model in your son's and daughter's life that they respect more than anybody until you give them a reason to reject you is you. They would rather be like you than anybody else. Why do you think that the kids in these bad homes turn out doing the same thing their dads and moms role model in front of them? Because they want to be like dad and mom. Why do you think that my grandkids stayed all night with me the other night? And this, this may sound cheesy to you, but it's not to me. They were telling me as we were going to bed that night, Grandpa, we get in the morning, will you read your Bible to us? They weren't saying that to use the word patronize. <laughs> they weren't patronizing me. But their dad reads the Bible to them in the morning time. They're used to it. When I grow up, when I grew up, was growing up, I tried to learn off my dad how to get over a hangover. My kids aren't learning how to get over a hangover when they get up. My grandkids are learning how to praise Jesus when they get up because they want to get up. So I'll look at these notes for your outline, things like that, and we'll keep on going from there. But anyway, husbands, uh, verse 2 tells you that God wants you to have a good-paying job and enjoy your job. And I want to say it again for the single moms, single dads, ladies that work. This is God's plan for you no matter who you are. God wants you to enjoy your job. God does not want you to dread every day going to work. You know what happens If you hate going to work every day, you're going to have a grouchy house. Your kids on Sunday night are going to say, oh, no, it's almost Monday morning. I can hear dad cussing now. I can hear mom kicking things around, slamming things now. Mom hates Monday mornings. Dad hates Monday mornings. If you have a job that you hate and you're a follower of Jesus, You need to pray about the job. And I want to tell you something. God will give you the job that meets the needs of your family. And if all you're looking at is money and benefits only, you might not find that job. 
The greatest money and benefits I know in my life is not to have to bail my kids out of jail or have to get them off of dope or have to spend my money trying to entice them away from ungodly friends. The greatest benefit in this whole world is godly children and a godly home. But what I found out by experience in my walk with Jesus for the last, what, 36 and a half years is this. Before I was a preacher and I was a truck driver, I found out that sometimes on my jobs, when I had to change a job, that I might have started off at the bottom of the ladder with not the best pay or the best benefits because I was following Jesus. It ended up, I grew up the ladder, and I ended up getting pay raises, getting better benefits, and things changed. So when you're following after Christ, money can't be your God. But as you follow Christ, he'll make sure your needs are always met. And I'll tell you what, you cannot change the joy of having a job you enjoy going into for any amount of money. You're going to live longer. Your home's going to be stronger. And you're going to walk in the blessing of God. And so God wants you to enjoy your job. And then also point number two, he wants the wife to be a happy homemaker. And I want to say that again. If you're a single parent, man or a woman, God wants you to carry the whole load to enjoy your employment and also have a blessed home when you get home. He wants you to enjoy both. And I want to emphasize again. When you reverence and trust the Lord, you'll enjoy your job, you'll enjoy your house. You look forward to going to work, how you look forward to going home. Point number three, your children then will be happy to sit down and eat with mom and dad. You know, I, I think about the children, I think about the dinner table. My wife and I learned a lot of things over the years. Haven't always walked in it perfect, but we've been trained enough to, we, we, we always went, by the way, we have a family life group at our church, a family life ministry at the church that has, teaches family things, uh, classes and things pretty much most of the year that teach you how to be a dad, a mom, how to, how to, how to do children, things like that. We, we attended enough of those as sheep and then as pastors, we led enough of those over the years. We've got the basics planted in our heart about Good things to do and good things not to do to have a godly family. We never, ever, ever, to the best of our ability, discuss problems at the dinner table. Do you know what kind of knots that gets in your kids' stomachs if you're having financial discussions at the dinner table? If you're having horrible job discussions at the dinner table, you know what that's doing to your kids? What it's doing to you? And so we did our best... We did our best, wasn't always perfect at it, we did our best to reserve times during the week where we could talk about these things, where we were rested up, hopefully, because have you ever noticed that if you're tired, the problems are magnified when you're having the discussion, but if you've already had a prayer time, Bible time, rested time, problems look different? Have you ever noticed that? And so we always tried to do that. So around that dinner table, and you know, we was raising our kids, but they have the cell phones too. If I were living in today's times, there would be a place for the cell phones, the iPads, and all those things to go at supper time. If we were living in modern times raising kids now, we would do that. And we would make sure, we would make sure that our kids and video games and all that kind of stuff was out of the way when it was family time so we could have family time. Somebody said, Pastor, that is easier said than done. Well, use your faith. Use your faith. You're the dad. You're the mom, not them. Did you ever know? Did you ever know? I'll just give you a couple examples. A church family is like a family. You're the kids. We're the parents. Did you notice that God did not anoint the kids to lead the parents? That the pastor has an anointing to lead the church? And you have the anointing to follow and help us help other people. Okay, I want to tell you something. This may be a revelation, maybe a flash. I never do that. God never anointed the kids to tell you how to lead your house. That's it. 
God never anointed your kids, even your teenagers, to tell you who's going to go to church or not in your house. Somebody said, ouchie, pastor, give me a band-aid. I got an ouchie. I got an ooey. God knows better than us. Children may have been raised wrong, but in their hearts they're crying out for leadership. They're crying out for dad and mom to tell me no. They're crying out for dad and mom to lay down their goofy electronic devices. They're crying out for dad and mom because when they're doing that, if you try to tell them no, well, you're doing that. It's like my generation the worst thing there was was doing that, and they'll tell them don't do that while you blow the smoke in their face. Oh, I wasn't planning on doing all that meddling today, but it just happens sometimes. And so you want to give the children a reason to want to sit around the dinner table. And then number six, or point number four, verse six, mom and dad need to grow old together, stay together, stay healthy, enjoy grandchildren together. And even if you're single or widowed or divorced grandparent, God wants you to have a loving relationship with your grandchildren. God wants you, no matter what your status is, to have a loving relationship with your grandchildren. And, you know, I think about, think about uh, I was raised in such an ungodly atmosphere, but I got a Bible. That's my first Bible that I ever got by my grandma, my, my dad's mom, gave it to me when I graduated from grade school. I don't know if they call it that anymore, but back when I went to school, they had grades 1 through 8 in one place and then 4 through 12 in another place. But when I graduated in 1965 from grade school, my grandma gave me a Bible. And the other day, I just had to look at that Bible that I've had since 1965 when I graduated from 8th grade. I said, Jesus, tell grandma I said hi and thanks for the Bible. It changed my life. Grandchildren need to have grandparents that give them good things. Amen. You know, I like soccer balls. I like ice cream. I like fun. But the best thing that I can do for my grandchildren is to see them watch me live right for Jesus. Give the Lord a hand. And that's God's best. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. I'm in the Living Bible again, so maybe you might be better off to follow it on the screen. But Ephesians chapter 5, I want to read this. And I call this simple things each family member can do to have a happy, blessed life. And for the teenagers in here, and for the young children in here that are able to listen and retain, we're going to be getting to you in a minute. We've given that mom pretty good time today, but kids, your part's coming. But I want you to see this, start at verse 21. I'm going to read some of this and then talk about it. Is this. Honor Christ by submitting to each other. You wives must submit to your husband's leadership in the same way you submit to the Lord. For a husband is in charge of his wife in the same way Christ is in charge of his body, the church. I want to say this. You notice it didn't say the husband's the dictator. He's the supreme boss. Says he's in charge. And just like the pastor is in charge of the church, I just want to throw this out there. It's no fun. It is. I mean, it's, it's, it's anointed. It's no fun to be the guy that has to answer to God for your lives. But it's a call of God. So as a call of God, I look to him to show me how to love you like he loves me. Well, as a husband, it's the same call. God didn't call a pastor to be a dictator. God didn't call a husband to be a dictator. He called us to take responsibility for the church as a pastor and for the husband to take responsibility for the home. And that's what he's saying right here. God has called and anointed pastors to be responsible for the health of the church. God has called and anointed the man to be responsible for the home. And once again, I want to make sure I keep on saying it because it's like a one-room schoolhouse. You're all different places in life. 
If you're the woman that's the head of your house and you're responsible for it, then God has a blessing on you to answer for that house. Amen? Amen. And so, he says, uh, a husband's in charge of his wife in the same way Christ is in charge of his body, the church. He gave his very life to take care of it and be its savior. So you wives must willingly obey your husbands in everything, just as the church obeys Christ. And I'll say this. It's easy for me to obey Christ because I know he has my best interest at heart. Jesus has proven me over and over and over again. He's for my good and not for my harm. He blesses me. He has mercy on me. He doesn't judge me. He doesn't condemn me. He doesn't put down on me. And when you're a husband that doesn't condemn or judge or belittle or put down or make fun or laugh at your wife, it's going to be very easy for her to say, Honey, what do you want to do today? Honey, I'll do anything for you. Honey, what can I do to bless you and make your life good? Because you're treated like Jesus does. How many of you talk to Jesus that way? Say, Jesus, I love you. I want to help you, Jesus. What can I do for you? Well, that's because Jesus is so good to you. And that's what he said here. Husbands, when you're good to your wife like Jesus is good to you, she will willingly say, which direction you want to go? What do you think we ought to do? Because she knows you're not selfish and thinking about your needs only. You're thinking about her needs. You're thinking about the children. And I'll tell you something I found out a long time ago. <clears throat> you know, there's a, there's a, there's a saying about the, the way to a man's heart is through, is through his stomach. You ever heard that? The way to a woman's heart is through her children. If you're a stepdad or a dad, or even you're a divorced dad, when you treat those kids right, that woman's going to eat out of your hand. Somebody said, Amen or owe me. Okay, well, hallelujah. And you husbands, show the same kind of love for your wives as Christ showed to the church when he died for her. To make her holy and clean, washed by baptism and God's word. The best thing you can do for your wife in loving her, when you see her faults, is to speak God's word over her. King James says, wash him with the water of the word. You need to see your wife through the eyes of the word and pray God's word over her. If she's a blabbermouth, pray the word of God over her that she has a peaceful spirit and she watches her mouth. You know, if she's a sloppy house, housekeeper, pray for God's word that that spirit of excellence will get in her and she want to do different. And if you're the ones that take care of the house and working and working overtime, then you pray for God to help you to get things better and he will. To make her holy and clean, washed by baptism of God's word, so that he could give her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, single spot or wrinkle, or any other blemish, being holy and without a single fault. That is how husbands should treat their wives, loving them as parts of themselves. For since a man and his wife are now one, a man is really doing himself a favor in loving himself when he loves his wife. No one hates his own body, but lovingly cares for it. Just as Christ cares for his body, the church, which we are parts, that the husband and wife are one body is proved by the scripture, which says, a man must leave his father and mother when he marries, so he can be perfectly joined to his wife and the two shall be one. I know this is hard to understand, but it's an illustration of the way we are parts of the body of Christ. So again, I say, a man must love his wife as a part of himself, and the wife must see to it that she deeply respects her husband Obeying, praising, and honoring him. Children, obey your parents. This is the right thing to do because God, God has placed them in authority over you. Honor your father and mother. This is the first of God's Ten Commandments that ends with a promise. And this is the promise. That if you honor your father and mother, yours will be a life, long life, full of blessing. Long life, full of blessing. And now a word to your parents. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children. I can't get off of that. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with the loving discipline the Lord himself approves with suggestions 
and godly advice, with suggestions and godly advice. So I want to I want to look over some of these things here, and we'll, we'll go kind of quickly because of the time factor today. Uh, I don't know about you, but I got fried chicken, mashed potatoes, gravy, green beans, and other things waiting on me for my Father's Day dinner. <laughs> Somebody said, well, what about tacos, burritos, and all those kind of things? Well, I don't know if you noticed yet or not, but I, I got from a different part of the country, and I still, I still revert sometimes back to the old country where we have those things. <laughs> but we love burritos and tacos and all that stuff, too. Okay, it all starts with dad and mom. Verse 21 says that, that we've got to be willing to yield to one another. Submit to one another means yield to one another. So make the decision to get along. If you're divorced, single, do your best to make things peaceable for visitation. It's not all about you. It's about the kids. About the grandkids. You don't want your kids and grandkids to go down that road where dad and mom has to fight over who gets to have a birthday party. About who gets to have Christmas, Thanksgiving, things together. You need to make it peaceful. And sometimes it's really tough. I told you back in the 70s, I went through that. And I don't desire anybody to ever go through that. So I've done my best with my family to show them the right way to do things. And so keep it peaceable. Keep the atmosphere filled with peace for graduations and all those things. Be willing to yield to one another. You don't have to have everything your way. I want to say that again. You don't have to have everything your way. Uh, People went to SMTI, which a lot of us are SMTI graduates now, and we have a lot of people, I understand, signed up for next year, maybe more than we've ever had. That's our Bible school we do. That there's a Dr. Barclay proverb. He says, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. And in these visitation situations, Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, give it, it shall be given unto you. What you sow is what you reap. And so, if you'll walk in love and respect, even if the other side's being abusive and mean, it's a spiritual law. If you do right, you do good, even at the expense of your own hurt for this time, there's a season coming where it's all going to come back on you in the good way. Amen? And then, verse 22 says, the husbands are the ones that lead the family, lead the wives. Husbands, lead. It doesn't say, husband, wimp. It doesn't say, husband, hide. It doesn't say, husband, be afraid. He said, husbands, lead. Uh, how many can handle a little bit? Another example. Word of God is the best thing you can get. I was a strong man of faith as a single man. I married a very strong woman. Well, I found out that when I got married, I had more responsibility just reading my Bible, praying and going to church, going to work. And so when I came home and I was tired at decisions in life, having a strong woman that read the Bible, prayed all the time, didn't go out to where I was going, she was able to jump right up and take the lead. Well, after a couple of years and letting her lead that I was following Things wasn't going as well as it could have went. The Lord told me, you're anointed to lead. She's anointed to follow. She's to help me. She's anointed to help. And he gave me an example. Has anybody ever seen those Budweiser wagons, those Clydesdales, those great big stagecoaches, horse wagons, have all those horses out there? I didn't know till the Lord taught me through the example he gave me. He said this, and I didn't know anything about animals. I was raised in the city of Indianapolis, the city of Indianapolis. That wasn't the country. And so... He told me, out of those horses, whether six horses or eight horses out there, said they're all equal in strength, but one of them's the lead horse. The reins goes to one horse, and the wagon master controls one horse. The reins go to one horse. He controls one horse. It's which direction to go, when to go, when to stop, what to do. And then those other horses are yoked together. To follow the lead of the lead horse, which gets the instruction from the master, the wagon master. He said, I'm your master. You're the lead horse. He said, I put in your heart what to do for this family. 
says, she's not anointed. She's strong like you're strong. But she's anointed to follow you. And your family is not going to be blessed if you start letting me lead you so she can follow you. And so I forget what was going on through at the time. Whatever it was, I told her, hey, this, this is not going to work anymore. I have to start leading. And I said, it's hard for me to lead because you're strong. And because you're strong, it's hard. But God told me, and it's in the Word of God right here, that if I don't lead, we won't be blessed. And so I said, well, we're making these decisions in life. If I'm holding back, if I'm wimping out, don't you dare override me and make the decision anyway. Because if you don't do it, I will. If you won't do it. But because it's easier for my past pattern to just stay back because I know you'll do it, then I'll just stay back again. But if you'll just stay out of the way, I'll lead and you can follow and so we made that deal way back in the early 80s. We've lived by that ever since. There's things going on. Even if I'm slow to finally get it, she knows that she'll just back off and pray for me. I'll get it. And then when I get it, we're blessed. My master puts in my heart where my family should live, what we should do for our life. Children decisions, grandchildren decisions. He puts it in my heart. And if I don't move fast enough, she prays for me till I get it. And then she follows and we're blessed. And so I'm telling you husbands, I'm telling you wives, wife, if you've been the strong one, you guys could still be strong. There's a difference between strength and anointing. There's a difference between strength and grace. I am graced to be the pastor of this church. You're not. Your grace to follow me as I follow Christ and pastor in this church. You know, you may be a very strong Christian spiritually, but that doesn't mean your grace to lead this church. And so the wife, the wife may be more spiritual, stronger, et cetera, et cetera, than you are spiritually. Maybe she is, maybe she's not. But if she is, she's not grace to lead. Genesis chapter one says she's called help meet. So, help meet means she helps you meet the needs. Amen. Amen. That help anybody? Amen. Amen. Get a hold of that and it will help you. Okay. And so, husbands lead. Be a man. Take your family to church. Read the Bible with them. Pray. Uh, be a part of their school life. Recreational life. And make sure, even if your wife... Is better than you are for numbers. Make sure you're part of the financial thing. Make sure you're part of the checkbook. Make sure you're yeah, a checkbook. My son told me that. That's old school, Dad. That's 19, 2000s or something. But anyway, checkbook, check computer, whatever you do. Make sure you're part of the money part because you're anointed to lead. And then uh, train your sons and daughters for marriage so when they get old enough, they'll see what a genuine marriage is and not a counterfeit. There's too much counterfeits out there. So make sure they see what it's supposed to be like and they'll know what the real thing is to do. And uh, live these things the best you can. Nobody's perfect. But just keep on getting up and doing your best. And then verse 22 to 24 tells us, Wives, follow your husbands as he follows Christ. And so if you've got a husband that's not living Bible, you don't have to follow those non-Bible ways. You don't have to be a sexual pervert. You don't have to be a, a druggie. You don't have to do ungodly things. If your husband is more concerned about doing ungodly things on Sunday than going to church for you on Sunday, then it's time for you to rise up and say, I'm going to church on Sunday. You're helping him then. That's been a helper when you do what you got to do. So wives, follow your husbands as he follows Christ. And then verse 25 to 30 uh, basically says, Husbands, treat your wives like Jesus treats you. When you make a mistake, or you whip out, husbands, Jesus doesn't go bopping you around, tell you you'll never mount to anything. You're not any good. Why'd you do that? Loser, 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 loser. Jesus says, get up. Let's go. I love you this much. You can do it. You need to tell your wife that. And vice versa. 
So it's easy for a wife to love a husband that treats her like Jesus would. And then verse 31 to 33, when husbands and wives recognize they're one and they live that way, I made this note. Divorced lawyers and divorced courts would lose a lot of money if Christians started living like this. Divorced lawyers, divorced courts would lose a lot of money. We can't do anything about the world. But about Christians, we should be able to do something about it. They'd lose a lot of money if we lived like this. And then this is for the children. Listen up, children's. Listen up, teens. Children and teens, obey and honor your parents. Obey and honor your parents. When you obey and honor your parents, you'll have a happy life. You'll be strong and healthy. You'll do good in life. You'll do good in school. You'll live healthier and not be sick. And things will change for you because that's what the Bible says. And so, boys and girls, your dad and mom are the best friends you'll ever have. Best friends you'll ever have. And then it tells in verse 4, for the parents not to be angry and scold all the time. Parents, live right. Be a godly example. Give your children a reason to want to honor and obey you. Give your children a reason. Stop and remember how you wanted your parents to listen to you. Nobody's too old they can't remember how it was back when they were growing up. I can. Even at my age, I remember how it was. You wanted your parents to understand what you were going through and not belittle you and yell at you, but to pray for you to have compassion on you. And so, parents, if you live by these instructions, your children and teens will run to you, not away from you. Run from you, not away from you when they're tempted in life. So let's do our best to have a happy Father's Day every day of the year. Amen. Anybody get anything out of that? Praise the Lord. Let's stand.